You want to go into the next case? Sure. The next one will be a 47-year-old woman who was found to have a stage 2 carcinoma of her left breast. This was found on routine mammogram. She had a 1.9 centimeter grade 3 cancer with one sentinel lymph node involved, but 19 other lymph nodes were uninvolved, so she was a T2N1. Her tumor was strongly positive for ERPR, and although the original biopsy showed that her tumor was non-amplified for HER2, in fact, when the HER2 was repeated by IHC and FISH on the lumpectomy specimen, she was, in fact, over-amplified. So her past history is very interesting in that about nine months prior to her diagnosis, her mother died of metastatic breast cancer. And this lady was her mother's primary caretaker throughout her actual nine-year sojourn with metastatic breast cancer. She was receiving various types of interventions, including hormones, chemo, radiation, and various types of hormonal therapy. So nine months later, a daughter is diagnosed and certainly is carrying some of that emotional baggage into our therapeutic decision-making. So the patient was treated initially with AC times 4, not in a dose-dense fashion, followed by weekly paclitaxel with Herceptin. Therapy was completed in about May of this year, and she did well with minimal side effects. She continues on Herceptin only, and she has just completed her post-lumpectomy irradiation therapy. Our major issues with her were, again, some of the emotional burden that she was carrying, not only with the experience of her mother, but also someone who views herself very much as the primary caretaker, if not the breadwinner of her family. Does she have a spouse and children? She is married and lives with her husband. She has three adult sons in their 20s, one of whom at least is living with them but she has always viewed herself as the person who's taking care of everybody else. What type of work does she do? She works in an office. She's kind of an office manager, and she has continued to work pretty much full-time throughout the course of her therapy. She proudly told me today she has missed exactly one day. That's correct. Throughout the entire course. How does she do with the chemo specifically? She tolerated the chemo very well. She had some fatigue, really no GI problems, no significant myelosuppression or paresthesias, occasional hot flashes. She was menstruating at the time that chemotherapy started. Her period stopped with the initiation of chemotherapy, although she states now that she recently, since stopping therapy, has had some intermittent spotting. So how long has she been on Herceptin alone? She has been on Herceptin alone for about a month and a half. And what about hormone therapy? Well. Uh, <laughs> funny you should ask. Huh? That's a bit of a can of worms for this lady. That certainly was a can of worms. And she and I have had numerous discussions about hormonal therapy because clearly I do not consider her menopausal at this mm. point in time. We discussed tamoxifen therapy at great length at numerous visits. And she had, interestingly, having gone through all of the chemotherapy that she had gone through, her biggest hang-up and her biggest stumbling block was, in fact, the tamoxifen therapy. Her mother had been on tamoxifen but only took it for a month or two and apparently did not tolerate it well. 
the patient had voiced, you know, significant concerns about the toxicities of tamoxifen, mainly endometrial Mm -hmm. toxicities, but also arthralgias, myalgias. We had several discussions. I printed out and discussed adjuvant online data with her to discuss tamoxifen. We had also discussed the alternative of possible ovarian suppression with something such as Zolodex. The patient had been on Lupron several years ago for endometriosis, and she had such a terrible time with the Lupron that she flatly refused to consider pharmacologic ovarian suppression. So we were a little bit stuck. Now, she's not unreasonable about it. She says that, you know, if she absolutely has to take it, she understands and she understands the data, but she comes with a pretty large bag full of fears and anxieties regarding the treatment. And in this, there is another family member, I think it was an aunt who was on tamoxifen who then developed endometrial cancer. Mm -hmm. So I think in some ways it would be easy to make this lady sound a bit hysterical about what we all view as the easy part of her therapy and to make her sound unreasonable. And she, in talking to her, does not come across that way at all. She says, I know I'm not them. And the fact that these side effects befell them does not mean they'll happen to me. But those fears for her are more real because those Mm -hmm. side effects are real. They're not just abstract lists of side effects on a page in her mind. And they're side effects she's experienced personally with Mm -hmm. relatives. What about surgical removal of her ovaries? Would she feel differently about that? We didn't talk about how she would feel about that today. Mm -hmm. I would actually be not so wild about doing that with Mm -hmm. this lady. Her descriptions of being on Lupron for her endometriosis was miserable. Mm -hmm. So I think her expectation of having similar side effects with with or any other pharmacologic suppression would be the same. I would assume that the side effects of that would come from complete lack of estrogen, that's a shot you can stop. Mm -hmm. You're not going to put her ovaries back, and you're certainly not going to give her estrogen. So this is a lady who I would not be interested in oophorectomy unless she was willing to try Lupron or Gacerolin again, had Mm -hmm. shown that with Mm -hmm. some time under her belt that was going well and as a way to not need the shot. Any other family history? Well, the family history was her mother, who was diagnosed at the age of 66, And she did have an aunt who had breast and ovarian cancer. Hmm. We had also discussed on numerous occasions BRCA typing, and that was brought up to her. And again, she was not interested. No, she's not going there. This is really unusual, you know, to really not have a good hormone alternative. I'm going to just say this because I know you're going to say you'll never do it, but what about fulvestrin? Well, no, actually, Neil, we do have good hormone alternatives for this lady. There are two other CIRMs approved and available on the market. Teremifen has equally strong data Mm. with very similar side effects in similar proportions and the same benefits. So particularly for patients in whom the fear is tightly focused on tamoxifen. That's interesting. Which has gotten a bad rap in the lay press. Did you bring that up to her? We did. We also Mm -hmm. talked about raloxifene as an alternative. Mm -hmm. Its FDA indication is not for this, but it is approved and available on the market. It has been well studied in breast cancer patients in Mm -hmm. early phase, phase two studies that included premenopausal women. Its benefits are the same. It, in the STAR trial, has lower risk of thromboembolic disease and lower risk of endometrial cancer. So this is a lady who I pretty quickly would have moved on from tamoxifen because, I mean, it sounds like Mm -hmm. you've 
discussed mm-hmm. that horse to death Correct. and, and yeah, you're getting right. nowhere. Mm-hmm. She recognizes this is as much a mental block as anything for her, mm-hmm. but it's real nonetheless. It is very real. So mm-hmm. I, I would mm-hmm. quickly move mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. to say, thankfully, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. are two other right. serms on mm-hmm. the market, which might just be mm-hmm. a better match for you. And certainly my hesitation with Reloxifen is the fact that I don't think the patient's postmenopausal right now. And but if he, That wouldn't bother me yeah, at all for Reloxifen. So there. Hmm. That's really fascinating. Another issue this case brings up is the question of choice of chemo, particularly in a patient like this one with a positive node. I see she got an anthracycline. What do you think about that, Kathy? And where are you right now in terms of using anthracyclines for her two positive patients? So I have used TCH for all of my folks for definitely the last year, probably about the last year and a half now. Our difficulty is actually we're participating in the ALTO trial, and it makes discussions of that trial much more difficult because my standard option and what I would give them if they're not in the trial, which is always something we discuss, is not one of those options. We have only one study directly comparing those two. It does not have final data yet. The data haven't been published. The data looks to me like there is no major difference in efficacy, and there is a clear small but real toxicity difference. So I look at this and say the AC arm would have to be clearly better and by a substantial amount in my mind to counterbalance the increase in toxicities. So I certainly can't quibble with people who Mm -hmm. still use an anthracycline-based regimen. It's perfectly justified. And I don't think this is a closed subject yet by any means. So Pat, I'm sure you've heard this debated endlessly at various CME functions and everywhere else. What's your take on this question? The issue of whether or not to use an anthracycline with trastuzumab. I think there definitely is some concern of additional toxicity with that. In this particular patient, this was our standard adjuvant therapy at the time that she presented. Were she to present this week, I think we'd be thinking probably a non-anthracycline regimen. That's interesting. When did your thinking change in that regard? About a year ago. Hmm. Interesting. Anything in particular that kind of tipped you over to make that switch? I certainly think the documented efficacy of a TC-type regimen or a TCH-type regimen certainly became much more widely accepted 